I don't know if you realize that we've been kind of immersed, kind of in vulnerability, even the whole time we've been gathered here. From the words that we've sung and experienced in these songs to little children leading us, adults, <clears throat> in worship, to Brittany, to Mike Murphy. We've experienced vulnerability. <laughs> but, you know, we have been on this journey for several weeks and we've talked about how everything has changed, <clears throat> how vulnerability entered into humanity when sin entered the world, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And in that vulnerability came with it guilt, came with it shame, <clears throat> and that shame manifested itself in hiding from one another, in hiding from God. And really the rest of the story is how do we untangle that shame that's wrapped itself around us, that's weighed us down so that we can move on, that we can um, live whole and healthy lives. Well, shame is just one aspect of vulnerability, but there's many other ways that we experience vulnerability in our lives. We experience it through our weaknesses and the various forms they take, through the pain we experience through circumstances, whether brought on by ourselves or maybe circumstances beyond our control. They're like thorns. And we're going to talk a lot about thorns today that just stick you from time to time, or maybe they just don't go away. As you sit here today, as you leave here today, I want you to think about what are my thorns? Where do I experience weakness? Whether I want to admit it or not, where am I vulnerable? See, Scripture, page after page, story after story, character after character, deals with vulnerability. And what's the answer? What's the hope in all of it? It's God. It's not just a Sunday school answer, God. It's this God of amazing strength who by his grace saves us, redeems us, strengthens us, transforms us for the journey. It's written in these pages so that we can gain hope. But that story continues in my story and your story today. Today we're going to go a little further, like I said, into vulnerability and look at some of our thorns. And, and how do we not just engage our thorns, but move forward in and through the thorns in our life? And the Apostle Paul, Paul is a, a guy who was a, a magnificent church planner and writer. He wrote half of our New Testament books. He's going to give us context in his famous passage, The Thorn in the Flesh, in 2 Corinthians 12, to give us some context into this discussion today. So let me pray for us as we get started. <clears throat> God, we, uh, we come before you just acknowledging that, you know, we are vulnerable, that we're not limitless, that we're not all-powerful, that we have weaknesses, that, God, there's stuff in us, or maybe there's stuff going on around us or outside of us, but, God, we feel the stick of the thorn. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us courage to acknowledge those thorns. I pray you'd give us courage to really consider what it means to trust in your grace amidst those thorns, and that, God, we would leave here different and changed, or at least on a different trajectory to move forward in life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians 12, this is kind of several chapters into a discourse that Paul is having. There's opponents that are calling themselves the super apostles that are trying to trump Paul, right? That are trying to push him down and raise themselves up to a status higher than Paul. And so Paul's been in a defense of his ministry against these false teachers, these false 
apostles that are trying to take over churches or whatever they were trying to do at that time. Right? And they're hitting below the belt. You see, Paul has a thorn. Right? And it's something that's visible, probably physical from what we know, although we're not exactly sure what it was. These super apostles were pushing that thorn a little bit in Paul's life. They were saying, Paul, if you're really as great as you say you are, if you're all powerful, if you can do all of these things, the Spirit is on you in some miraculous way, how come God's not healed you? We know you've prayed about it, pleaded about it. God's not even answering your prayers. How can you dare say that you're better than we are? That's what's going on in these chapters. So I don't know, let me just ask you, I don't know if you've ever had your character challenged, something you've said, your identity undermined by somebody or something, trying to like elevate themselves. If you have, think about how does that feel? How do you want to respond? Or maybe if you put yourself in Paul's shoes, what would you do to these people? I think one of the thorns that God has given me, he's given me this crazy intensity, right? And last week, Bill Clark said I would have made a good cowboy. And I'm taking that as a compliment, but I'm not sure that it was. But when I read this part of 2 Corinthians and what's going on there, like, I've got this Wyatt Earp side of me. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Tombstone, but there's this great scene towards the end when he's been, his family's kind of being persecuted and he's had enough, right? And he pulls back his vest and, you know, there's a little badge there. And he says, you see that? It says U.S. Marshal. He goes, with these crazy eyes, he goes, you've called down the thunder. Well, now you've got it, right? And I'm just like, yeah, like, let's go. You know, like I just, I resonate with that, right? And so I feel like that's what I have. I would have turned into Wyatt Paul, Apostle Paul Wyatt Earp in that moment. And I would have brought the thunder. And Paul could have brought the thunder. But look how Paul responds in the first several verses in chapter 12. Paul talks about some amazing experiences he's had with God that far surpassed what these other leaders were trying to do. They were bragging about what they were doing and the experiences they had. But Paul talks about some amazing experiences that were very meaningful to him, that have shaped him, right? That far surpass his competitors. Paul could have saved face in the moment. He could have played the trump card, but he doesn't do that. Listen to what Paul says, starting in verse 7. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, right, from bringing the thunder, from relying on himself and his own strength, he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Think of this kind of like in Job, if you know the story of Job, that God allowed this to happen. God didn't bring this on him as much as he allowed it to happen in Paul's life because he knew what it would do for Paul. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, therefore, everyone say that. Now say it like you mean it. There you go. We got some white herbs in here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardship and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. I want to say, what? <laughs> what? When you're weak, you're strong? Like, your grace is sufficient? Like, that's a great concept. It's kind of a warm fuzzy. But there's real circumstances that aren't changing. 
I just kind of, sometimes I don't get it. Grace is a good concept, but it wasn't changing his circumstances. And so let me put on my Captain Obvious hat and just say a couple words about these verses. One, Paul's thorns, his needs, his weakness, it was very real. Right? And it was a big deal to him, and it was visible. People knew about it, could see it. We're actually sticking him with this. Second, his circumstances didn't change. We all, we know that God did not take this thorn from him, despite his pleading to the Lord. Right? That is a vulnerable place to be. When you are just laying it before God, asking him, because you know you can't do it yourself. Some of you may have experienced times like that. And third, somehow Paul finds this resolve to say, therefore, with a sense of confidence, therefore, I'm going to move forward in God's sufficient grace. And I will boast about my weaknesses. The challenges for us, at least to me in this passage, are to truly understand God's grace, number one. And two, how do we move forward to get to the therefore in life? That God's grace-filled strength can overcome, or maybe a better word is to transform our weaknesses, our thorns, into something for his glory. And that we, we live in a new way, a new framework of life. Grace, thorns, and therefore. So let me say a word about grace. You know, grace is a, is a concept that I think mostly we get. I think loosely we would define it as unmerited favor. It's getting what you don't deserve. We often equate it to our salvation. You know, thank you, God, for your grace for saving me. You know, sometimes we equate it to blessings, you know, maybe to answered prayer. But even in blessings, it's usually we've gotten something or it's been something that made us happier, feel good. And we say, oh, God's grace is so good even all the way down to parking spaces close to the, to the mall entrance. You know, thank God for your grace. You know, but interesting, over several years ago, we did a church-wide survey, and we did it twice, and it measures all kinds of things. One of the things, one of the results that came back to us, it said that over 50% of our congregation, right, so look around the room, over 50% of us really don't have a good handle on grace. And it's a pretty important word in the Bible. In fact, it's the answer that God gives Paul in this text. And so, even though we know the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me, I want to try to fill the grace gap a little bit. But we're not going to be able to do it all today. But at least I want to give you an understanding that shows that grace is so much wider and deeper than maybe how we understand it. Here's a quick summary of grace. God is the source of grace. Grace came by Jesus Christ. The riches of grace were exhibited in God's kindness through Christ. The glory of grace is exhibited in our acceptance in Christ. Grace is necessary to the service of the Lord. God's work is completed in believers by grace. Grace is the source of election, being called into God's family, the source of the call of God, the mission and purpose that he's given us. It's the source of justification of faith, of forgiveness of sins, of salvation, of consolation, and hope. In Scripture, grace is described as great, sovereign, rich, exceedingly, manifold, all-sufficient, all-abundant, glorious. And we could continue on. Do you feel the weight of grace? When God says, my grace is sufficient, God is making a claim about himself, about his power. And about his faithfulness. 
And God is not limited. And God is not weak. Amen? And His grace isn't like a water tap that you have to turn on. It is flowing all the time. It's abundant and it's enough. And when we trust in Him, we find unimaginable strength beyond our understanding and even our circumstances, as hard or as uncomfortable as they may be. Paul found this to be true when he pleaded three times that God would take this thorn, and it wasn't taken away. Jesus found this to be true when three times he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion that God would take this cup of suffering away from him. And it wasn't. But God's grace was enough. I find great comfort in knowing this grace of God. And I don't know about you, but I need God, who is limitless, who is all-powerful, who has the strength that I don't have. Don't you? What I struggle with is the trusting of this grace of God, the strength of God to overcome my thorns and weaknesses and my limitations. I know I have weaknesses. At least Sue Ann tells me I do. And I might even admit them sometimes. But to accept them and to lean into weakness is something altogether different. You know, weakness reveals our limitations, your limitations. It touches our humility or sometimes forces us to postures of humility. It reveals that we do not have control. And I think weakness is often equated with wrongness, especially in our American culture, where we should be able to do it all. Weakness is sometimes seen as wrongness. But Paul gives us such a different picture. He says weakness can actually be some of the greatest greatness in our lives. Here are a few ways that at least I have tried to compensate or hide or resist the grace of God in my life. See if any of these are true of you. There's times when I have overperformed or overfunctioned in some of my strengths in order to kind of hide the weaknesses. You have those things you're really good at, and so when you feel that vulnerability, you just power up in your strengths, right? So you, the weaknesses never have a chance to come out. <clears throat> Sometimes I withdraw. Right? It's easier to hide or to self-implode sometimes than have to deal with your thorns and weaknesses. You know, in men's fraternity, it's a group of guys that meet on Thursday morning. We've built a definition of manhood. It's a four-part definition, and one of the parts is rejecting passivity. One of the things I love about Paul is that he doesn't go passive on his thorns. He pleads with God. He acknowledges them, and he seeks God. And other people knew about him, right? It was visible. Paul wasn't passive, nor should we be. <clears throat> Sometimes we can boast, right, that it's a way of maybe deflecting our weaknesses, right? Have you ever been around people that everything they talk about or wherever there's a situation, it usually comes back to one of their trophies in life? Well, my team, in this situation, I, you know, or we, or, you know, it's always this great success story, and I want to say, like, what are you? That's not helpful, <laughs> You know, it's not about you, right? But we do that sometimes as a way to deflect away from our vulnerability and weaknesses. And then there's other times where we just turn destructive, right? We, we destroy as a way to distract from our weaknesses. We take control that's not ours, right? We will push others down in order to make sure we keep our posture, you know, keep control of the situation. Sometimes it's destructive personally, through 
substance through other forms or through you know, even the grip of shame tearing us down inside, sometimes it's destructive towards others, tearing them down. It's interesting, love and grace builds up, Scripture says, but in our humanness, when we don't open ourselves to God and his grace, we tend to tear down. I don't know if you see any of these in your life, or maybe even you're doing some of those now. Maybe there's others that we could list. But the reality is, I think part of the fight for us is this whole issue of control. As I thought about it, control really seems to be the focus of this situation. And C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote on pride. Because I think the center of control is about pride. That we want to be like God. Instead of trusting in God. Because then we've got the control. Lewis says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, right, meaning the biggest vice, the most evil is pride unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, right? The things that we typically can point to that say these are the bad things that you shouldn't do, right? Lewis says these are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. But pride always means enmity. Pride is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man from one another, but also with God. Pride looks to self, and when you look to self, you look away from God and his grace. So the Apostle Paul got it. I truly believe he got it. That's why he could say, therefore. And he could align his life in such a way around God and his grace that led him to that resolve of therefore. Therefore, the strength that he needed and craved, that we need and crave, is found in those weaknesses. It's in the therefore that we find God's sufficient grace. But the question is, how? Wouldn't you want to know how? Here's the answer. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. It's not a switch that you just flip on. It's not a set of five principles that you just apply. If it was, we wouldn't struggle like we do. But I think I can give you some handles that help us find a grip And maybe one of these examples or snapshots will be helpful or be a turning point for you as you think about engaging God's sufficient grace in your life. Um, First, this past Thursday morning, our own Mike Murphy spoke at Men's Fraternity, and he asked the guys this question. What are you trusting God for in your life? What are you trusting God and only he can do in your life? And after he finished, we had discussions around tables. And at my table, it was interesting because one of the things that we talked about is that to really trust God, we have to have a bigger perspective. Our perspective needs to change. We need to have a more eternal or kind of God vision perspective. We get so consumed with the now and focused in on our little life that sometimes we just don't even see what's going on around us, let alone what God is doing in our life. But when we can zoom out, it reframes even our thorns in a different way. Our finite limited perspective gets replaced with God's perspective. And that's how Paul could say, therefore, because he had a different perspective that wasn't just about his thorn that, was cons- that, that could have consumed him. Here's another image. Maybe it's understanding how God forms us, <clears throat> helps to shift us in our mind and our heart, even our soul, to move towards God's grace, to receive God's grace in this way. When uh, Swan and I were first married, hey, sweetie, We lived in Pittsburgh, the great city of Pittsburgh. 
And, uh, you know, I thank Chad Negley for finding this steel mill. Um, he's a diehard Ravens fan, so I feel like even the grace of God is breaking into his life, putting this Pittsburgh image up there. But uh, I worked with AT&T, and I had the opportunity to go into some of these steel mills, and it was really cool. I mean, if you need a dose of, like, macho manhood, put on your steel-toed boots, your hard hat, car heart, and go into a steel mill, you know, it's kind of like going to the country club, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> But uh, to watch this steel being broken down into a liquid and then formed. You know, steel is one of the strongest elements that we have on earth. But it's not good for anything until it's broken down, shaped, and formed and molded into what is useful. And the only way that steel can be formed is it has to be weakened. It has to go through the fire, right? It has to be heated up. It has to be broken down. So then the metal worker can shape it how it needs to be. Isn't that true with us? God is all about our transformation. And it's through our weaknesses and our vulnerability that God does some of his greatest work because that's the place when we're weak, God's strength is able to shape something in us. The last story, last snapshot I want to tell is something real time that's going on now with one of our staff, Sandy Towers. Sandy is our children's director, and many of you know it's been in our um, pathway. Sandy is battling cancer for the second time. You've not seen Miss Sandy around for several weeks because she's been going through chemo treatments. And, uh, in fact, she's got a third one coming up next week, so keep her in your prayers, please. But she's doing well, but I asked her because her witness in this journey has, like, impacted me profoundly. I see her resting and trusting and God's sufficient grace. And it kind of blows my mind. So I said, Sandy, how are you doing it? And she was kind enough to send a few words. Let me give you um, some of the things that she said. 16 years ago, when she was first diagnosed with cancer, she goes, I told God that I would trust him with it all and keep my eyes open. The more I gave up this disease to him, the more I let go of me. And the more God showed me and worked through me. He had a lot of work to do. I say, amen, don't we all? God reassured me that he had me, and through that trust and letting go, my faith deepened in him. God had to slow me down in order for me to discover who I was and who he was. That's pretty profound. God had to slow me down for me to discover who I was and who he was. I learned how important community was and that it was okay to be vulnerable and to let people help me. With this, I learned to let God's family care for me and love me. And now we fast forward, and I want to just read to you the words that she sent me. She said, just a few months ago, a new cancer journey for me began, and it was a shock. A new, different, and rare cancer. When I heard that this was a rare cancer and that that it literally was one in a million, I think she was the 63rd person diagnosed with this form of cancer, I heard God say, Sandy, you are one in a million in my eyes. Remember that. From the beginning... God reassured me that he was with me again on this journey. The first day I found out about the cancer, a friend came over and we talked and prayed. When she left, I sang a song to God, letting him know I trusted him on this journey. Sandy found a deep love of singing and worship um, in her first round with cancer. So she sang to the Lord to let him know that that she trusted him. 
My husband John called during the worship time and told me to look outside. I saw a, an amazing rainbow that God wanted me to see. He was whispering to me that, yes, Sandy, I am with you always. That was God giving me peace that surpasses all understanding. I can truly tell you that I'm not afraid because I know that I'm in God's hands. The more life I've lived, the more I'm able to look back and see God's faithfulness and how he has brought us through things in his way and in his timing. When we realize that life is not about us, our life changes. Our entire perspective changes. We will never live a full, meaningful life until we realize that life is not about us. It's all about learning to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind and loving others the way God does. This is a lifelong journey, and God molds us into the person he created us to be if, if we let him. With trust comes a deeper faith, and with deeper faith comes gratitude. You can almost hear Paul's words there. God's grace is sufficient for me, Sandy says, for when I am weak, I feel stronger spiritually. God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of me gives me strength to get me through anything. With that strength comes perseverance and a desire to press on. Oh yeah, Sandy says, there are tough days. That's the reality. There's tough days. She's going to have more tough days coming up. But through those tough days, the grace of God, through the grace of God, I can get through them. I feel on fire to share my story and all that God provided for me and taught me. I want others to know the love and grace of God and how that can sustain us day to day. There is no love and grace greater than God's love. Those are amazingly deep words. And that is coming from a person who's journeyed several years with the Lord, but has somehow found the way to transition from the focus here to trusting in God's grace. <clears throat> I see Paul all over these words. It's like as if he would have wrote them. And there, Sandy has found strength for the journey. You know, if there was one word, you know, I said I kind of had a little bit of an answer at it and share that with you of how do we do all this? I think it's surrender. Whether it's surrendering our perspective, whether it's surrendering control to allow God to shape us, whether it's just surrendering ourselves because we can't do it anymore and we have to allow God to do something that we can't do for ourselves, it all comes back to surrender. Which isn't it ironic? That's what Jesus even modeled for us and calls us into. So maybe one of the questions you need to ask is, what do I need to surrender or where do I need to surrender to the Lord right now in my life as a first step for the rest, for the other things that need to happen to come true? Let me finish or close with one thought here before we, before we finally end. As you acknowledge and embrace your thorns and your weaknesses, your limitations, one of the things you're going to realize is that this is not a solo act. And everything in us is going to want to do this by ourselves as an individual. But the reality is you are going to need to be a partner for somebody who has a thorn in their flesh. And there's going to be times when you are going to need others to be that strength for you, as Sandy learned in her journey. And if any of you have gone through, you know, had some tough thorns, you know the value of having other people brought into that space in your life. God uses us as his agents of grace. We have to go there with one another. We're God's plan A in this. So as you bring all of this together, I think one of the things you find when we surrender, when we embrace community, when we 
trust in God's grace, when we can lean and move in that direction, what you find is you find yourself living in a new way. And I think you find yourself living at the intersection of what I would just say the cross, where we're learning to love God and be loved by God more and more. And then horizontally, we're learning to love others, but also to be loved by others more and more. And that, my friends, is what it means to follow Jesus. So let me ask you again, what are your thorns? Where are you weak? Where are you feeling that vulnerability? God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, you're going to have to finish the rest of that. Do you pray with me? Father, we just acknowledge. I mean, as we come before you, we know that we have thorns, that we have weakness in our lives, that we can't overcome some or many of these things. God, we confess our pride in wanting to maybe handle it ourselves. God, we just pray for openness. Open our hearts and our souls just to lay things down, to give up that control. That was an illusion anyway that we thought we had. God, help us to embrace your sufficient, all-powerful grace in its many forms. Lord, you know the circumstances. You know the weaknesses. But God, we pray that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen.